Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Good evening. Welcome, and please stand. We'll begin in prayer. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. And make us worthy, O Master, to dare with confidence and without condemnation to call thee the heavenly God as a Father, and to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Uh -huh. It's my job as a priest to bless the congregation, so bow down your heads to receive the blessing. The blessing of the Lord and his mercy come upon you through his grace and his love for mankind at all times, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you, Father Joseph. And thank you all for coming out here this lovely summer evening in Virginia. As I said to some of you on the way in, uh, if it's not raining, it's not the Institute of Catholic Culture. Uh, our speaker this evening is the president of Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia. He received both his licentiate and doctoral degrees in ascetical and mystical theology from the Angelicum in Rome. In 2002, Dr. O'Donnell was appointed as consultor to the Pontifical Council for the Family by John Paul II. He is a Knight Grand Cross of the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem, a frequent lecturer on EWTN. Uh, Dr. O'Donnell is also on the Board of Advisors for the Institute on Religious Life, the Cardinal Newman Society, and most importantly, is an advisor to the Institute of Catholic Culture. He has published two books, Heart of the Redeemer and Swords Around the Cross, he and his wife, Catherine, have nine children and six grandchildren? Seven now? Yeah, seven. You haven't checked today, have you? <laughs> I think we should applaud well, him there, for there being a pro-life historian. Who's yeah. having one, Colleen's having another one. Wonderful. Please join me in welcoming back Dr. Timothy O'Donnell. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon. It's always a joy to be here. It's great to be here. And I do hope, I'd just like to echo... I think what Deacon Sabatino and the Institute is doing here is just phenomenal, and so I just encourage you on my part to continue to support great initiatives like this. It's wonderful to be here, uh, especially this evening. What a joy to be able to talk to you during the Year of Faith, and I have to confess, I am a little disappointed in what we have been doing as a church for the Year of Faith. I think there hasn't been as much as Pope Benedict had hoped. Even the poster which I saw, which is really lovely, this place is reason before faith. I mean, you've got Plato and Aristotle here, but it is fides et ratio. So I want to commend him for having faith come first. So that's what we're going to do. Reason is very important, and we'll have to talk about that uh, as well. It's an added joy, not only because of the year of faith, and we need to be doing things about the year of faith. Pope Benedict is not the current pope. 
but that legacy has been picked up by Pope Francis. And once again, we're finding, I think, a beautiful continuity, despite what the media is trying to say about, oh, they're so different in their style. Really? Really? We can talk about that in the question and answer if you would like. But uh, it's also a great joy because this is the vigil of the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So it's a great night this Thursday night to step and do a little extra prayer before retiring, preparing for the great solemnity like Margaret Mary's to do, but from 11 to 12, she'd get up and not that you have to do that, but doing some extra prayer of reparation. Lord knows we need it. But my topic this evening is to talk to you about faith, and there are four principal sources that I'm going to be drawing from that I'm going to recommend to you. And I'm going to hit really hard on this when I get to the end of the talk. Catechism of the Catholic Church. Ideal if you started and you read a page every day, by the end of the year of faith, you'd finish it all. All I really want you to do for the rest of your faith is maybe read part one. Everybody could do that, and the Pope's going to recommend that, and I'll hit more on that at the end. Secondly, there is a great document, if you haven't got it, John Paul gave us the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Fruit of the Council. There's also the Compendium that was issued by Benedict XVI, which took the Catholic Catechism and set it in the traditional question and pithy answer response. It's a great book. You should have it. And I'm going to use those as sort of the basis for my uh, reflection tonight. Of course, the encyclical, Fides at Ratio, I have to confess, it's sort of a charter document for Christendom College. It was actually published on September 14th, 1998. That's a long time ago. But September 14th, why September 14th? Because that's the day Christendom opened its doors. That happens to be true. It's the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Remember after Paul gave that great talk at the Areopagus, you know, saluting the unknown God, never mentioned Jesus, never mentioned the cross? The talk was a failure. And then he had to walk to Corinth. It took him three days to walk. You know the first thing he said to the Corinthians when he got there? I resolve what I am among you. I would know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So it's great that we're starting with faith. And so what I'd like to do is talk with a little bit of a reflection and sort of go through a little bit of what's contained in the compendium and a little bit of what we find in the catechism. And then I really want to emphasize at the end the fourth document, Porta Fide. If you have not read or need to reread Porta Fide, that's Benedict's document proclaiming the year of faith. Those are our marching orders. So I'm going to give you an overview of that today, or tonight rather, and spend some time with that. Hopefully you can have a chance to do that prayerfully. So what I'd like to do is prayerfully reflect together with you about our faith. And you know, the fundamental questions that we have to deal with as human beings, whether you're Catholic or not, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Hindu, if you're an atheist, agnostic, Shinto, whatever you are, fundamental questions. Like, why am I here on this planet? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Pretty important questions, right? Especially if you're planning to go on vacation. <laughs> you don't know where you're going, guess what? You're not going to get there. And you need to have a map. You need to have a plan. But what is God's plan for a man? And following sort of the line of thought found in the compendium, God who is infinitely perfect and blessed in himself out of sheer goodness. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Out of sheer goodness, 
freely created man. And why did he create man? To share his own blessed life. You know, these simple truths of our faith, we get so caught up in the world and our business and our routine, we don't stop to reflect and think about these things. And because he wants us to share in his own blessed life, in the fullness of time, as St. Paul says in his letter to Galatians, he sent his son as our redeemer and savior. Because you know why? We messed up. We sinned. As Chesterton once observed, the one dogma of the church that does not need to be proved is the dogma of original sin. It's everywhere. I mean, look at us. We're a mess. We lie. We hate. We cheat. We kill one another. We do all sorts of horrible things that we shouldn't be doing. And there's a real problem. But God calls us all into his church through the work of the Holy Spirit, active in all of our lives, active in the world. And of course, Every human being has a sense of this. Why does man have a desire for God? The compendium asks this very, very good question. And the compendium says it's written on his heart. On every one of our hearts, it is written. Why? We are created in his image. Since we're created in his image, we're like him. We're attracted towards him. We're guided towards him. And it's that image that gives man his dignity. And that's that vital bond that exists between God and man. If there's no God, there is no human dignity. What is our dignity if it's not the fact that God is our Father and we are creatures made in His image? And we've seen horrible examples, haven't we, just in the last century of what happens when God is taken out of the equation. What happens to human dignity? Auschwitz, Dachau. Today's a very significant day for us as Americans, right? June 6th, we hit the beaches. Listen to what FDR said in his talk. A great day for Christendom, for the nations of Christendom. He actually used that word, fighting against evil. The Bataan Death March, what happened in Russia with the Gulag, atheistic communism. You take God out of the equation, we are left devastated. And that's the problem right now, right? We're going to try to build a society without reference to God. We can all be Americans. We can all have freedom, enjoy our freedom with no reference to God. It doesn't work. When God is gone, human dignity suffers, suffers horribly. Now you can say, well, that's fate. But why? is it possible to know God with just the light of reason? Well, our church teaches us, yes, you can. You can come to know God through creation by examining the world and seeing the beauty in the world, a magnificent sunset, a glorious sunrise, or even reflecting on the human person, we can come to a sense that there is a highest good. There must be an infinite beauty and an infinite truth. Even though our knowledge using a reason alone may be flawed and limited, it is possible. But the light of reason alone can't take us to the point where we know the mystery of God. Because man on his own, just with reason alone, can't enter into the mystery of divine intimacy. That's what the compendium calls it. Divine intimacy. Why? Within God himself, there is a communion of persons. Father eternally generating the Son, the Son eternally generating. The love between the two persons, spirating the Holy Spirit. How beautiful it is. And there are moral truths which are beyond the grasp of reason that we can't possess with ease, certitude, and without a mixture of air. 
faith, Catholic faith, is necessary for all of us, for everyone on this planet. Now let's see if we can move on from there. All right. What is faith? What is faith? Putting apple juice in your car. All right, that's faith. <laughs> but that's not sound faith. <laughs> it's not sound reason. What is faith? Faith is the acceptance of the word of another, right? On a natural level. Trusting that the one speaking knows what he is saying and is honest. They're telling the truth. The basic motive of all faith is the authority of the person speaking, right? That's why we take things on faith. It's the authority of the person speaking, the right that that person has to be believed. Now, that authority has to have adequate knowledge of what he or she is talking about and the integrity of not wanting to deceive somebody, all right? That's what we mean by human faith. If I were to ask you, and I will right now, where were you born? New York. How do you know that? How did you first find out? Parents. Parents told you, all right? Are they worthy of belief? Do they have authority? Isn't that true for most? The number of things that we take on faith is amazing. Think where you were born. How do you know it? My parents told me. Is that an act of faith? Is it rational? Yeah, and if you have a birth certificate, that helps too. But most of us just heard from your parents. That's your hometown, all right? So, when the one who we believe in is God, then we're talking about something different. That's divine faith, divine faith. And faith, we understand this as Catholics, is the most beautiful thing that God can give a human being. It is the most beautiful thing that God can give a human being. And most of you in this room have that. Hopefully all of you do. What a great gift. The act of faith in this sense is the ascent of the mind to what God has revealed. An act of supernatural faith requires divine grace, either actual grace, sanctifying grace, or both. If there's no faith, there's no hope. There's no charity. And there can be no faith without grace. All right? It's performed under the influence of the will, which also requires its own assistance of faith for the will to do what it's supposed to do, what theologians call gratia ut motio, the grace of movement. All right? Grace for movement, to convince the intellect that it should believe. Now, if the act of faith is made in the state of grace, it's meritorious. It's meritorious making an act of faith. And why is it meritorious? Because why? We're giving God our best. And what's our best? What's the best thing we have? Our intellect, our will, our heart, if you will. We're giving the best thing that is in us back to God. And when you make an act of faith, God receives that joyfully. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Every time you make an act of faith, God receives that joyfully. It's a cause of joy to him. Explicit acts of faith are so necessary in our world today, so necessary, especially when faith is being tested by temptation, being challenged, if your faith is weakening. 
We need to pray. And one of the most common acts of faith that you can recite, you probably know this, my God, I believe in you and all that your church teaches because you have said it and your word is true. In this day and age, we need to say that or words like that frequently because so much in the modern world conspires that it's irrelevant, it's not important, or even it's not true. It's not true. And that needs to be countered. Now, John Paul II, in his great encyclical Fetus at Ratio, speaks about two gifts from God. Faith, which is our primary topic tonight, but also the role of reason. And Professor Wunsch will be here next time to talk about reason more, but we do have to bring it in a little bit, because the act of faith is not an irrational act. All right? The role of reason is to assist divine faith. First of all, reason can establish the rational grounds for belief, why we believe. Because why? Reason can prove God's existence, all right? his nature, his attributes. Vatican I told us that we can know that through reason alone. And we can come to see his authority as an all-wise, trustworthy, proving that God has made a revelation, especially when we see evidence that he works miracles. He worked miracles in the past. He worked them in the life of Jesus Christ. That's one of the foundations for us believing. And he still works miracles. And you can still see miracles, like the tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Should have decomposed in 20 years. And it's still there, even after having a bomb thrown on it, after having acid thrown on it. Anyone who wants to go can go examine the medical records at Lourdes and see the number of documented miracles. You know, we've got it all topsy-durvy. A lot of people say, well, the people believe in miracles because they have a dogma about them. No, we believe in miracles because we have evidence for them. The people who deny miracles deny them because they have a dogma against them. And we need to talk about these things. Secondly, reason can further reflect upon what God has revealed to us. And that's what theology does. And it helps us to have a deeper, clearer understanding of what are those divine mysteries. So we get an insight into them. That's why reason is so important. And reason can also show, first of all, that the mysteries of faith are in harmony with naturally known truths and show that supernatural mysteries are not contrary to reason. Because we can't understand something, because it's a mystery, does not mean it's contrary to reason. It is supernatural. It's above nature. It is above reason. But to be above reason does not mean contrary to reason. That's why when we get engaged in apologetics, trying to defend the faith, St. Thomas warns us very carefully, don't try to prove the mysteries of faith. You know why? You can't. You cannot prove them. And if you try to prove them with grounds that aren't really solid, it will lead to contempt. What we do in apologetics is we remove obstacles to faith. Objections that people, you can remove obstacles. And you can also provide motives of credibility, why it's worthy of believing in. And then God can work and his grace can work. But faith is always a gift of God. We can sort of lay a groundwork, we can remove obstacles, but that is always a gift. So let's go on now to talk about the virtue of faith. Faith, it's an infused theological virtue 
whereby the individual person is enabled, and I'm here following the teaching of Vatican I, it's important to remember, <laughs> there was a Vatican I, right? Everyone knows Vatican II, but the reason it's Vatican II is Vatican I. Why? Okay, what are we enabled to do? This is what the Council tells us. To believe that what God has revealed is true. Notice how many times truth comes up? To believe what God has revealed is true. Not because its intrinsic truth is seen with the rational light of reason, but because of the authority of God who reveals it. Of God who can neither deceive nor be deceived. So, it teaches us what? Man is made for God. The, these simple truths that we get away from. Each one of us is made for God. The virtue of faith, when you have it, it gives happiness to the mind. It's what our minds, it's what our intellect is made for. It completes, it perfects our intellect. The mind wants to understand. That's why in his encyclical, Fides et Ratio, the very first part of John Paul's beautiful encyclical is what? Credo ut intelegam. I believe in order that I may understand. Because once you believe, things start to make sense. They start to make sense. The mind wants to understand. And you see this in children all the time, right? In little kids. What is that? <laughs> what is that? What is that for? How does that work? You might remember the obnoxious kid in Home Alone. Does this car have an automatic transmission? You know the McAllisters are going to Florida. Do you know to ask like 10 questions, you know? They're very inquisitive. And of course, the great question, why can't I? They want to know. They want to know. The mind is always seeking to know things. And our souls, our souls live in an atmosphere. We all live in an atmosphere, just like the body lives in an atmosphere. Tonight it's rainy and cold, all right? There's a spiritual atmosphere. There can be an intellectual atmosphere that can be rainy and cold and try to dampen the fervor and the fire of faith. We are surrounded by materialism, right? I'm a material girl and I'm living in a material... I won't say who it is, but, you know, and in case you missed the point, she says it over. Material, material, material. And then you know what? You act like that's all you are. Because you have no soul. You're dead spiritually. You're just material. So why not fornicate? Why not do whatever you want? Because you're just material. There's no spiritual damage. All right? And then there's also science, which is so amazing and sort of blow the mind sometimes. There's so many amazing things in science. And technology, which gives the sense of progress. I'm old enough to remember records and the 33 speed. I thought it was high tech and we got eight track tapes. So they had to switch tracks, you know, right? Where do I begin to tell the story? <laughs> then we got cassettes, now we got CDs, now we got so much junk, it's unbelievable. But all of these affect our view of revelation, our view of faith, and our understanding of reason. But in divine revelation, in theology, we make a couple of distinctions. There is what we call natural revelation, which comes from God too, and supernatural. Natural revelation would involve the world of creation, what has been brought into being, and things that we can know through studying nature, like most of the Ten Commandments, all right, the immortality of the soul. 
But then in addition to that, there are things that are strictly supernatural revelation. The Trinity, the Incarnation, the real presence of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Now, God is calling us to a supernatural destiny through Jesus Christ, his Son. And our faith refers us to the body of truths that are contained in our church's creed. But God's objective communication, when he reveals that faith objectively, that is received in us subjectively. And that's the virtue, the theological virtue of faith. And when we talk about faith as a virtue, it comes from that Latin word virtutes, which means what? Power. Well, what's the power that faith gives us? The power to know God. I almost hate to say it because in saying it, it almost trivializes it. But think about that. The power to know God. That's quite a power, isn't it? Intellectually. That's why St. Thomas will tell you that a simple French peasant woman out in the fields simply making the sign of the cross when she hears a peal of thunder or sign of the cross to begin the praying of the Angelus knows more about God than the greatest of the pagan Greek philosophers than Aristotle or Plato ever knew. Make sense? It's the power of faith. There is a power to know God. What a gift it is that we can know God and in knowing him we can talk to him which is the life of prayer. Now, some don't have that gift. Some reject it for a host of reasons. There have been radical attacks, such as Nietzsche in the 19th century, in his book, The Antichrist. He went, hated Christianity, went mad, went insane, but wrote in The Antichrist, and I quote, in Christianity, neither morality nor religion has even a single point of contact with reality. The world of pure fiction, or he says, this world, Christianity, this world of pure fiction is vastly inferior to the world of dreams. Well, that's hatred, that's contempt, that's really missing things. That's what Nietzsche said. Vatican I, great council, dealing with this issue of fides et ratio, faith and reason, made a response to that. What do we know? And let's take a look at what it said. Faith is an ascent of the mind in cooperation with the will under the influence of grace. That's in a nutshell. Faith is an ascent of the mind. It's an intellectual act in cooperation with the will under the influence of grace. It's a free gift of God. It's something that God gives us. The object of faith is God's revealed world, revealed word rather. And then the question, well, why should we believe that? Vatican I was very explicit in its considered teaching, why should we believe that? And this is what the council said. Since man depends entirely upon God as his creator and Lord, and because created reason is wholly subordinated to uncreated truth, we are obliged to render by faith a full submission of intellect and will to God when he makes a revelation. So what they're actually saying here, see, we're not autonomous beings. We are creatures. We were made by God. And so the council continues. We believe that what God has revealed is true, not because its intrinsic truth is seen with the natural light of reason, but because of the authority of God who reveals it, 
who can neither deceive nor be deceived. Now this is an age where any kind of argument from authority is a dirty argument, right? But when God is the authority who speaks, there's a great weight that is given there. And that's why we need to recognize that when that gift is given, it is a free gift. And that's why when we have the faith, if you have the faith, our response should be esteem, love, gratitude. Because why? It is a free gift. You didn't earn it. It has been given to you freely. And a lot of people don't have it. It's just like when you come down in, at Christmas and someone gives you a Christmas present, what's the answer? What's the response? Thank you. I don't deserve this. I did nothing to deserve this. And the fact that you have it should really be thinking about that, right? Anytime you pray, anytime you go to Mass, anytime you think of God, the only way you can do any of those things is if He has given you a grace. You know that, right? So where is God? He's all around us. He's closer to us than we are to our own souls. We keep looking for Him here, there, and every, every time you pray, every time you do a good deed, every time you go to Mass, every time you go to confession, you're doing it because He's giving you a gift. He's given you a grace. The problem is we don't have our tuners tuned into the right frequency, right? We're listening to everything else and we're missing all the things that he's giving to us all the time. We are swimming in an ocean of grace constantly. But the problem, we're living on the outside with a lot of noise, with headphones, with digital everything, right? You can't even work out. You can't even see somebody walking down the streets of New York without things shoved in their ears. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone's doing it. Or they got a Bluetooth. We look like aliens. You know, I thought, what, what's that? You know, I remember the first time I saw it. Now I know what it is. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We don't like silence. And God dwells in silence. And he dwells interiorly in our hearts and souls. But we spend so much time on the outside that if he speaks only in silence, how are we going to hear that? How are we going to hear that? But it is a free gift. And that's why Vatican I goes on. No one can consent to the gospel preaching, as he must in order to be saved, without the enlightenment and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who gives all men their joy in assenting and believing the truth. So anyone who has faith, you can't have that without the Holy Spirit. That means God has given you an incredible gift. And we need to realize that, though. And we need to reflect upon that gift and strengthen that gift. And remember, it's a gift given, but it's a gift received. It's a gift received. Our free will is involved. Why? Vatican I continues. Man offers to God himself a free obedience. That's what we give, our intellect and will. A free obedience in as much as he concurs and cooperates with God's grace when he could resist it. I mean, we can resist grace. We don't have to say yes to that grace. So what do we do? We give back to him our act of faith, our act of hope, our act of love. And that's something that gives him joy. Why? The father rejoices because he sees what his son went through, all of that agony to achieve our redemption, achieving fruition. Because why did he make each and every one of us? To be with him for all eternity. That's what he wants because he loves us so much. So what are we supposed to believe? Sticking with Vatican I, the council quoted very heavily in John Paul's encyclical. 
What must we believe? Quote from the Council, By divine Catholic faith, everything must be believed that is contained in the written word of God or in tradition, and that is proposed by the Church as a divinely revealed object of belief, either in solemn decree or in her ordinary universal magisterium. End quote. Now let's probe that a little bit. The faith, in addition to being divine, when we say it's divine faith, we mean it's of God. It comes from God. It's a gift from God. Is also Catholic, small c. What I mean by that, it's universal. The believer is called to accept everything that God reveals. There is no such thing in the Catholic Church about a pick-and-choose Catholicism. I like this. I don't like that. Catholic light. All right? No such thing. But we had a lot of that in the 60s and 70s, sort of like, well, I'm Catholic. Well, do you believe what the church teaches? <laughs> we see that all the time now in politics, don't we? Yeah, and it's, it's a, it is a big, big problem. Divine revelation, as the council in the written or handed down word of God, Vatican II and Dave Erdman will develop that a little further and will say, Scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium are the three pillars that support God's Word. It's like a tripod. You take any one of those legs away, the whole thing falls. You take Scripture away, it falls. Take tradition away, it falls. Take magisterium away, it falls. You need all three there. Now, Christ established the Church, and it is through the Church that the entire Word of Revelation is handed on to us. It's committed to her. So what she proposes to us is the whole Gospel. That's why we want everyone to come into the church. And we see what the church teaches in her councils, in papal teaching, in sacred liturgy, in all of these things. And so can doctrine develop? Yes, doctrine can develop, but that's not new doctrine. That's a deeper understanding, a deeper penetration of the truth communicated. All right, Revelation and faith are gifts of the living God who lovingly gives us these things. This is not the shackles of dogma. All of these truths of our faith are things given to us lovingly by God. And God is the one who initiates this. That's one of the reasons why Christianity is different from all the other world religions. I used to teach it for seven years. In world religions, world religions is always about what? Man's quest for God. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, it's not man's quest for God. It's God's quest for for man. God calls Abraham. God speaks to Moses. God sends Jesus Christ, his son. God is always initiating. That's why St. Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So we need to step back in this year of faith and reflect upon the fact that we have been given a great gift from God, through the church. And that's a gift that's meant to be shared, as we will see. Faith is the beginning of salvation. It's the root of all justification. And what a gift, because what do we get? What do we see? We, it gives us the power to know God. What do we know about Him? He is a saving God. He is a personal God who calls us by name. As for you, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Your heavenly Father knows when a swallow falls to the ground on the earth. All right? That's amazing. How much more you? Oh, you of little faith. Faith. 
Uh, we need to pray for it. That he's all-knowing, that he is all-loving, that he is all-powerful, that he is changeless. Are those important things to know? Should everyone on planet Earth know that? Absolutely. And that they don't is horrible. Is horrible and a real challenge to us. That he's transient, that he's holy, that he's one. All of these great things that come to us through the faith that we can come to know. So let us review a couple of things, turning our attention to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And the thing you really want to focus on, 176 to 184 in the Catechism. Beautiful teaching, where we are told what? Faith is a personal adherence of the whole man to God who reveals. Again, intellect and will to the self-revelation of which God has made. Beautiful, beautiful. To believe, thus, the Catechism tells us, has a twofold reference to the person who is revealing and to the truth revealed by trust in the person who bears witness to the truth revealed. This faith is a supernatural gift. We cannot have it without the interior gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel the Holy Spirit is absent in your life, or you don't feel his presence, retune your receiver to the fact that you do pray, all right? that you go to Mass, that you do spiritual reading. All of that is a manifestation that the Holy Spirit is with you. He is present to you. You need to become more aware of that. And believing is a human act, something that is conscious and is free, but it is also an ecclesial act. And this is something that Benedict was so big on. I'm going to try to highlight that when we get into his text. It's an ecclesial act. It's being part of a church, and that is a great thing because it's the church's faith that precedes our faith, engenders our faith, supports our faith, nourishes our faith. It is a great thing to be a Roman Catholic. It is a great thing to be in the church. As St. Cyprian said, no one can have God as father who does not have church as mother. Remember that quote? No one can have God as father unless you have the church as the mother. Pope Francis just, like on his fifth day after Pope gave this great talk about saying, you can't have Jesus without the church. He says in this beautiful, simple way, with a smile on his face, you can't have Jesus without the church. Why? Because the church is his body. It is Jesus. He died for the church. He loves the church. And that's why we believe everything that is revealed. And it is necessary for salvation. Our Lord said in Mark 16, quoted in the Catechism, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. It's very simple. That means an act not to believe, choosing not to believe. All right? Faith also is a foretaste of the knowledge that will make us blessed in the life to come. So what we believe right now, what we know right now, it's a foretaste because when we get to heaven, our intellect will be expanded tremendously. We'll receive a special grace, which theologians call the Lumen Gloria, which will strengthen our intellect, be able to accept the divine species as an intellectual substance. That sounds really fancy. But what does scripture say? As St. Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. I shall know even as I am known. See how profound that is? Does God know us perfectly? Okay, we will know him that way. Wow, what a covenant. Talk about nuptials. That's going to be incredible.
recalling again, with faith, why is it so important to strengthen it? Why is it so important that it be shared? Because with faith, we know. We know what? We know where we are from. We know where we are going. We know what? From the very beginning of our existence, we were loved. We wouldn't exist unless someone loved us. We're the fruit of our parents' love, but God is the one who made that happen. And of the billions and billions and trillions and trillions of possibilities that he could have made, he chose to make you and you and you and me just the way we are. So you've got to love yourself, right? Because if you don't love yourself, you can't love God, and you certainly can't love your neighbor, because you have to love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of the problems with neighbor comes from the fact that we are filled with self-hate and self-contempt. All right, But God loves us, calls us into existence from the beginning. And at the end, we will be loved too, because in the end, we see face to face as a lover. Okay, The beatific vision. Now, on the final part of the talk, I want to turn to Porta Fidei this neglected document. This was Benedict XVI's marching orders. And I have to say a little frustration because I think he had such hope that if we're going to evangelize the world as a church, we've got to get our household together. And this was the year to get the household together, to read the catechism, to go more deeply, to understand our faith and to share the faith. And if we don't do it in this year of grace, then we're not going to be able to reach out and evangelize and bring that to the world. You cannot give what you do not have. So if your faith is weak, then you're not going to be able to communicate it effectively. And so prayer, acts of faith, all of these things are so important. So he starts off, Porta Fide, the door of faith is always open. And why is the door of faith so important? It gives us communion with God. He says it so simply, but recognize what an incredible thing. Communion with God. Is there anyone in this room who would not want to have communion with God, the supreme being? Everyone wants communion with God. That's what we're striving for. And he says, entry into the church. Pope Benedict is such a man of the church. You can tell he loves the church. He's given his whole life to the church. And all the attacks on the church, and even Catholics, you know, sometimes you go and it turns into a complaint session, you know what I'm saying, about this priest or that parish or this liturgy or that. Who'd want to join? It's like the complaint society. Instead of thanking God that we received Jesus, all right, or that we're a member of his mystical body. And so he immediately goes on and talks about joy and enthusiasm that comes from encountering Christ, the person. And so let me give you a little quote, and this is what he says. The church, this is in section two in Porta Fide, the church as a whole and all her pastors, like Christ, must set out to lead people out of the desert. Where are most people? In the desert, the secular world. What's it mean? There's no water. There's no life. Everything's dead. It may seem you're moving, but you're in a dead zone. You're in a dead zone. The church as a whole and all her pastors, like Christ, must set out to lead people out of the desert towards the one who gives us life and life in abundance. Isn't that great? Because what are we always fighting in our modern world? Death, right? Loneliness, alienation, isolation from other people. 
That's part of what we're dealing with and part of what we're struggling with. And we need to overcome those things. And he goes on, I think he's thinking of Europe and I think he's thinking of the United States. And he says, you know, Christians can't accept, as Christians we cannot accept, that the salt of the earth and the light of the world is going to become tasteless and hidden. Tasteless and hidden. And in many areas, that's what happened. He says, quote, in large swaths of society, there is a crisis of faith. People don't believe anymore. And these are Christian nations. And the cultures are dying. Every three years I go to Ireland, I'm amazed at the collapse. Every three years, it gets worse and worse. Forty years ago, probably one of the most Catholic countries in the world, and you just see brutal secularism, atheism, Horrible problem with teenage suicide in Ireland right now. A lot of young people killing themselves. It's a real problem. All right? But we're called, the Pope says, like the Samaritan woman, to living water. Water that's going to well up inside. Taste the word of God, faithfully handed down by the church. Nourished by the bread of life. All those things. Reading God's word. Receiving him in Eucharist. And then he says this great question that was asked Jesus. What do we have to do to do the works of God? And Jesus looked at him and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. What should we be doing? Believing. Believing in the one who he sent. You know, we have this thing every, whenever it's the Olympics, we watch the Olympics. Did any of you watch the Olympics in the summer? Oh, it's a big thing in our family. We do this all the time. Did you ever watch those athletes talking to their coaches? They're riveted. There is total faith, belief, and dedication. They'll do anything that that coach says that they can get that medal. Is that our attitude towards Jesus Christ? Whatever you say, Lord, I'm there. I will do it. I will be there. That's what we need. That's what we need. And of course, the Pope's talking about the fact that he wants this year to be celebrated because it's the 50th anniversary of the opening of Vatican II and the 20th anniversary of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And then he gives us a great quote from John Paul II to remind everybody of how important this is, and I'll give you the quote, talking about the Second Vatican Council. This is what John Paul said. The council have lost nothing of their value and brilliance. They need to be read correctly, to be widely known and taken to heart as important and normative texts of the magisterium within the church's tradition. I feel more than ever in duty bound to point to the council as the great grace bestowed on the church in the 20th century. There we find a sure compass by which to take our bearings in the century now beginning. That's the Vicar of Christ. Benedict puts it in his encyclical. Should we take a look at Vatican II again? Like Lumen Gentium? Yes. Those major dogmatic constitutions, de verbum. We should look and examine those documents again. Like Benedict said, you've got to be guided by a right hermeneutic, not a hermeneutic of discontinuity and rupture, but one of continuity. There is a development of doctrine, but it's in harmony with everything that went before. And then he goes on to talk about renewal of the church. And how is the church going to be renewed in this year of faith? The witness offered by the lives of believers. That's us. Are we witnessing? I mean, are we really witnessing in the workplace, in our homes, 
in our bedrooms? Do we conduct ourselves as Christians all the time? All the time, in every facet of our life. He speaks of newness of life. Christ has been risen. There's a newness. There's a newness. And he uses this Latin expression, caritas Christi urgetnos. The love of Christ drives us, compels us in this area to evangelize and to be mission. George Weigel's great new book, Evangelical Catholicism, kind of really hits the nail on the head with that. So many times our effort as Catholic to evangelize can be summarized in one scripture verse, Mark chapter 1, verse 44, which says, see that you tell no one. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, we take that to heart. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, you, know, you kind of sit on the bus and, oh, you know, I mean, don't bring, you hear a conversation or something comes up and you could contribute in some way, all right? But Benedict in this year wants us to once again encounter and experience the joy of believing and the enthusiasm of communicating the faith. Listen to this quote. It's so poetic and it's so beautiful. It's Benedict. You know, he's Bavarian. You know, he's smart, but he has that sort of peasant poetic quality. Listen to this quote. Only through believing. This is in section 7. Only through believing, then, does faith grow and become stronger. There is no other possibility for possessing certitude with regard to one's life apart from self-abandonment in a continuous crescendo into the hands of a love that seems to grow constantly because it has its origin in God. Isn't that great? Beautiful. The more we abandon ourselves, the more we become aware of his love. Because even your giving yourself an abandonment is a gift of his grace. And you begin to recognize, gosh, he is with me. He is helping me. He's walking with me. He's closer than we are to our own souls. And that needs to be reflected upon. Faith grows when it is lived, he says, as an experience of love received. When it's experienced as love received, when he really gives us that love and we recognize that, then we get that joy. Now, this great joy that we have, this great joy that we have, why do we have the joy of faith? Well, we know God. We can come to see God in a certain sense in our lives, in reality. And the joy that comes from faith, these things that we kind of take for granted, what's the joy of faith? What do we know when we have faith? We know that we are wanted. We know that our life has meaning. Do you know how many people go through life not knowing that their life has any meaning at all? One of the most moving passages, I teach a course called Ancient Biblical World. I haven't read Cicero. And in a treatise on old age, he has this powerful thing. He says, I'm not going to join the great learned body of life's critics since the course my life has taken has led me to believe that I have lived to some purpose. Do you see the poignancy in that? But he can't tell you what the purpose is. We have meaning in our lives. We have purpose because we know the mystery that was hidden from earlier ages. So our life has meaning. We know that we are accepted. And we know that we are loved. We know that we're loved because we have the gift of faith. And this precious gift is so fruitful. And so he says, what do we need to do? We need to reflect on our faith this year. That reflection has to be intensified. That's why I welcome this opportunity. That's why what the Institute is doing is so important and so good. Because you need to reflect. We all need to intensify 
that our adherence to the gospel be more conscious and more vigorous. And he says, we're living in a time of profound change, but he wants it professed publicly in cathedrals, in churches, in homes, in families. You know, tomorrow's the solemnity of the Sacred Heart. It would be a great thing if everyone tonight went home and consecrated themselves tomorrow to the Sacred Heart as a family. Even if you have to just consecrate yourself, find a consecration prayer and give yourself to him. Surrender to his love and you will see things with far greater clarity. And he wants every individual believer to do this in a dramatic way and recite the creed. He gives a quote from his favorite theologian. You know who Benedict's favorite theologian is? Augustine, that's right. Listen to this quote from Augustine about the creed. He said we they just celebrated Mass and said the creed. This is what he says. This is in section 9, a quote from Augustine. The symbol of the holy mystery that you have all received, that's the creed, together, and that today you have recited one by one are the words on which the faith of Mother Church is firmly built above the stable foundation that is Christ the Lord. You have received it and recited it. But in your minds and hearts, you must keep it ever present. You must repeat it in your beds. Recall it in the public squares. And not forget it during meals. Even when your body is asleep, you must watch over it with your heart. Isn't that amazing? We don't set our faith apart from our life. It affects everything we do in home, in the public square, even when we're asleep. That the last thing we should think about if we wake up on you, I muse through the night. That we think about him, that we turn our attention to him constantly. Knowing this, confessing with our lips, making this public act. Just like at Pentecost, you know the church went public. Remember, Peter stood up and gave that great Pentecost homily. And remember, if you have the faith, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you, will strengthen you. And that's what the Pope says, ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to make you a better witness, to make you frank, courageous. We don't have just to depend on ourselves. We can depend on the Holy Spirit. He really hits hard. You've got to read. He pleads, read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Because if you do that, you'll find there you'll encounter a person who lives within the church. And that is Jesus Christ. He wants us to retrace our steps through history and then in doing so he calls all sorts of great examples to our attention. For example, Mary the Blessed Mother, the great woman of faith. Like Louis de Montfort says, if you ask her to join you in the faith journey she will impart her faith to you and she'll share her faith. He talks about the apostles who manifested fearlessly joy in the risen Christ. That incredible joy. Disciples great examples who formed that first community of the church, that community that based itself upon the teaching of the apostles, that's the magisterium, prayer and breaking bread, sharing Eucharist together. And then of course there's the martyrs who witnessed to the truth and transformed themselves, showing the greatest act of love possible, where you forgive your persecutors, right? You're laying down your life for your fellow man for those who persecute. In our world of hatred, terrorism, bombs, where there's no longer outrage that a group would set up car bombs in marketplaces and blow up women and children, or that someone would strap bombs to their body and walk into a group of civilians in a marketplace or in a house of prayer and blow themselves up. We need to think about this. And there are so many great examples of martyrs. One of my favorite ones, you ever heard of Peter Martyr, the great Dominican? 
who was set upon by a heretic assassin who smashed his head with an axe and as he fell to the ground dying he made an act of faith he took his hand up and in his own blood pouring out of his head wrote in the dirt in the ground credo in unum deum and then died that was as I believe in one God and you know the assassin was a heretic was so moved by that couldn't believe it despite the hardness of it he converted and eventually became a Dominican alright amazing the witness of the martyrs witness to the faith asking the Holy Spirit to be with us to strengthen us laity living witness in the family in the workplace and then he says please intensify your witness to charity one of the great stories I heard from a dear friend Sean Lovett who worked at Vatican Radio about Pope Francis do you like Pope Francis stories mm -hmm. this was amazing it was the audience right after his election where all the people of the press came in gentlemen press this is CNN and all the the cool people you know and all that and so he goes out and he's giving a little talk and the guy comes up you know the Vatican starts next Benedizio, Benedizio, and you can see him elbowing. You got to give your blessing now. Give your blessing, and he kind of pulls his arm away, and says no. And he looks at all these people in the press corps, and he says, "They want me to give you my blessing right now, but you know what? I've already given you my blessing in my heart. As soon as I came in, I prayed in my heart forever. I know many of you are not Catholic, many of you are not Christian, but I want you to know that I've already blessed you in my heart." And he never gave the, you know, sit nomen domini. He never gave the formal blessing. He just said that. But he said he was just looking at all these hardened people in the press. And you know what he saw? Weeping. There were tears flowing. But they were so moving. This man has already prayed for me in his heart. So moved. What an amazing pope we have. What a great blessing. In conclusion... He points us to St. Paul again in his letter to Timothy, and he tells all of us here to aim for the faith, to aim at faith. And then he gives this strange thing. He says, none of us should grow lazy in the faith. Isn't that a funny thing? Don't, you've been a Catholic all your life. None of us should grow lazy in the faith. He says, it's a lifelong companion which allows us to see anew the marvels that God works for us. And so he concludes, and I'll conclude with a quote, and then a final statement, and then we'll take questions. What the world is in particular need of today is the credible witness of people enlightened in mind and heart by the word of God, and capable of opening the hearts and minds of many to the desire for God and for true life, life without end. And that's what it's all about. We have all been given a great grace all of us who have the gift of faith, even those who are still on the journey, that you're on a journey, you wouldn't even be looking for him if he hadn't already called you or opened himself in some way to you. But let us stand with Christ in this secular age. You know, at Lent, you think of Good Friday and Easter, but he still has those wounds, right? The risen Christ still has those wounds, right? Wounds in the hands, which a finger could go in, large gaping wound in the side, because he said, Thomas, put your finger in my hand, put your hand in the side, all right? He still has those wounds. And like a noble warrior who's fought in combat, he beckons us to that open side and says, will you stand with me? Will you rally to the stand of the cross? Will you bear witness to me in this world that I may share all of my joy, all of my happiness in eternity? That's what the year of faith is all about, and that's what we're trying to do this evening.
Thank you very much, Dr. O'Donnell, for a wonderful presentation. This is uh, the first part of two parts. Uh, Dr. O'Donnell presenting on faith in a rational world, and Professor Mark Wunsch will be with us next week on the role of reason in a life of faith. So we hope you come back next week. Um, I received this message on the internet, and I wanted to share it with you. Hello, Sabatino. I am one of your ambassadors for St. Raymond of Penafort Parish, but I've gone out of the country on a mission. Am I missing the ICC talks? Of course not. Right now, I am watching Dr. O'Donnell on live streaming all the way in the Manila, Philippines. Wow. Yes, that's real time on the other side of the world. The quality is fantastic, and I am not even on 4G. Uh, <laughs> I agree with Dr. O'Donnell. There is no dignity without God, and please thank him for mentioning the Bataan Death March that happened here in the Philippines, a great grasp of not only history, but of geography, more power to the ICC, more power to the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for writing in and watching in the Philippines. So please, take what you've learned at the Institute of Catholic Culture in this wonderful presentation tonight and do something about it. Respond to the church's call. It's not enough to know the faith. You also have to love it. And that means loving our brothers and sisters that are in need of it. If you're learning something at the Institute of Catholic Culture and you are not bringing it the next day to those whom you are in contact with, into the workplace, into your parishes, then what we are doing here at the Institute of Catholic Culture is absolutely meaningless because a lot of smart people have gone to hell. And if you're learning the faith, you have to share it and bring it to others. Do it. Don't be ashamed of it. Go into your grocery stores. Go into your workplace. Knock on your neighbor's door and share with them the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you watch what God will do at your hands. We just celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. 3,000 people converted in one day because the apostles said, Yes, Lord, I will do it. They didn't have a clue what God had planned for them. But they trusted and they stood up unashamed and preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come what will, whether they be crucified or beheaded or burned at the stake, they did it and people converted. If we want to see a conversion take place in our society, if we want to stop the darkness that is out there with the light of Jesus Christ, we better be willing to say, yes, Lord, I will do something about it. I was just reading a wonderful quotation from the great Fulton Sheen. And he says, look at my hands. Look at my hands. Are they scarred from giving? Look at my feet. Are they wounded from service? No. We can do more. And we have to say, yes, Lord, I will do more, and then go and actually do it. So please, take what you've learned at the Institute of Catholic Culture. And do something about it. Respond to the church's call. Okay. Okay. Questions? Um, you spoke about uh, the, the role of, being, of apologetics uh, as removing obstacles to the faith and proposing motives for the faith. I've heard some people, you know, when you're talking about the faith, well, I, I just don't have it. You know, you say faith is a gift. So what would your response to, the, to be when they say, well, I don't have faith? How can they get faith? Well, you can pray for it. You could enroll and study and learn about it. Uh, 
We just had an interesting conversation at the break where it's sort of like, well, how do, you, how do you begin with something like that? I don't have it or anything like that. Uh, where are you from? Where are you going? Does your life have meaning? You know, those are really fundamentally radical questions. And I think without faith, they're very difficult to answer. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Does my life have meaning? And someone who is a human being, if you can't answer that, you really need to, you need to think about that deeply. And there, uh, there is an answer. It requires grace from God, but you could at least begin the journey to become open to that grace and try to learn something. Maybe by reading it, there are certain books that could be suggested and, and things like that. But I think most people, see the problem is everything sort of conspires to keep people away from those fundamental radical questions. And we live on the surface, we just, you know, we watch Lost, we watch, you know, TV, we, j we do all of these things as a way of sort of hiding and masking that sort of gap that's there. And all human beings, you know, man can be defined as homo religionis. Man is man of religion. He's always religious. There's never been a culture that hasn't been religious. So I think if you just start raising those questions, then that immediately gets them to start thinking more deeply. And then God is the big question. That is the big answer. I mean, either Christianity is true or it's a ridiculous superstition. But the fact that you've had billions of people down through history, some of the most brilliant minds who have embraced that faith with fervor and conviction, should give pause. And so I would, I would use those questions as a way of leading them into, that's assuming that there's a desire, I mean, if, if they're bringing it up, then there's a desire for dialogue and for discussion. And that's why I would say, why do you get up in the morning? Why do you work hard? Why is it important that you put in a good day's work? Why do you want to have kids? Why are you married? Why, you know, all these sort of social conventions that have Christian trappings, you know, and, and going into there, what is it? And then you get them to go deep. Yeah, why do I do that? And maybe they'll find that there's more of a presence of faith, maybe there's more of a presence of God than they actually realized. Because in Him we move, live, and have our being. And we're all made in His image. And sometimes we lose the likeness, but the imago remains. And so trying to bring that back to life, and sometimes just going inside and asking questions, which we seldom do anymore, can be the beginning, can the beginning of a life of faith. Dr. O'Donnell, do you mind if I add just one, sure, one thing? Sure, please, please. That, uh, uh, we have a lot of people that are coming into the church that, uh, that watch after the programs and discover a great jewel at the Institute of Catholic Culture. And, and I know in my own life... I. You know, I've struggled with the faith. I've struggled with the faith. And I, I'm sure each one of us has struggled in our own way. And there's something that Father Joseph, who is regularly here with us, has said a number of times in his homilies, and that is that when we are a member of the church, we are organically united to each other, which means we benefit from each other. There's enough faith in our church to make up for your lack of faith. And if you're struggling with the faith, if you're unsure, if you want more faith, grab hold of the hands of the church and you'll be united to enough faith to sustain you through that struggle and see you to the goal of faith, which is Jesus Christ. So far from going outside the church when you have a, a difficulty with faith, get more in line with it and united with the body of Christ. And that will make up for your lack of faith. And you can trust in that. You trust in Jesus Christ. Other questions? Dr. O'Donnell, you said that if you go to Mass, if you pray, etc., that's all the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
But you know, many people are just born into it, and this is what the family does. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, is it really the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or and, and then Jesus says, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I did not know you. And so, is there a qualitative aspect to that going to mass and praying? That's a very, yeah, that's a very good question. There is, but of course, those who are going to mass and going to confession, even nominally, are still doing the. Yeah, they're still doing the work of the Father, the work that he wants. But still, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit's there operative. Now, again, grace is there, but if it's just done out of a sense of habit, if it's, there's not a real openness, that can limit and sort of bind the Holy Spirit. Just like venial sin can bind the action of the Holy Spirit. Like when we go for prolonged periods between confessions, you know, the longer the time, the less virtuous you become. You know, that oh, I really need to go. You know, two weeks is great. Three weeks forward, you don't go for four weeks, go, don't go for a month. <laughs> I don't want to live with the person. You know, or is that? So that sometimes there can be habit, but even habit, I'll take that. You know, and I think our Lord will, t- not that he's content with that, but that's sort of a minimum. But anyone who is doing anything related to faith in this day and age, I think is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the, the trick then is to get, break through that so the person can recognize the Spirit's operating in their life. How else is he operating? Am I really attentive to everything he's saying? Am I listening when I go to mass to God's word? That's where homiletics, the priest, communion, all of those things are meant to spark, you know, and sort of break through that shell. If the church is alive and doing what it's supposed to do, if they're going every week, there must be something right about that. Uh, And so I think I would still say, yeah, the Holy Spirit is still there working and functioning a lot more than we would think, a lot more than we would think. Dr. O'Donnell, if... Um, getting the faith initially from our parents, uh, what they pass on to us and all this, how do you then answer a person who is not a Catholic, not a Christian, and says, well, they're believing what they believe because of their parents, and um, then what's the difference? Um, okay, we need more, more information. Okay. Are you talking about someone who's an agnostic or an atheist? or All of the above. Protestant, agnostic, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever. They got it from their parents, and what's the difference between what their parents told them and what we told We're just believing what our parents told us. That's mm-hmm. all. Well, there is a lot of difference if you're talking between Catholic and Muslim or Catholic and Protestant. I mean, there are differences, but there comes a point in everyone's life, you're raised in a family tradition and you're given a tradition, but there comes a point where you say, I accept this. You know, that's supposedly our confirmation moment where you say, I accept it. I got this from my parents through the Holy Spirit, you know, I have this, but now I, ex- I am a Catholic, all right? Yes, I was raised in that tradition, but I accept it. Would you like to know why? I'm happy to share that with you. And you can tell them why, how you have experienced God in your life through the gift of your parents and things like that. And maybe the gift that they got from their parents was a, whatever the faith tradition, at least there was something of God, some type of knowledge of God, and that is a great gift. But maybe you need to realize that your parents or their parents ran away from home and they didn't pack properly. And so they ran out and they didn't bring everything. And there's so much more. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to receive Christ, to receive God in Holy Communion, receive him into your soul through the hands of a priest? Have you ever thought about that? It's an incredible experience. It's great. Then you bring in our friend in the back to smile and be effusive. But, <laughs> but you know, so I mean, that's all there. But I think there, everyone is, a, there comes a point in everyone's that you're Catholic because you have chosen to be that. You've made an act of faith. And of course, there are big differences in everyone's faith. And 
it's a great gift to have the faith and to be Catholic, but I would then go on to, this is why I have accepted this. I have accepted the grace that was given to me initially through my parents, but then also I make a daily act of faith responding to God's invitation to serve him as a Catholic. And I believe that's where the fullness of truth resides, and I'll share that with you. That's where I would go with that. I was just wondering, uh, you're talking about in the grocery store and at work and on the metro and all that, what are a couple of suggestions to get to that point, to even share your faith with people? Do you have any? Oh, th yeah, there are things you can do. You'll find a lot of times there will be conversations, things in the news, things that will come up to hear a conversation in an aisle or comments as they're going through the checkout line where they've got, you know, the globe or whether Jen's pregnant. You know, I'm, you know all of that slop there where sometimes, like, if Cosmo's there, I pick up the Cosmo and turn it around, yeah, and do that. <laughs> or say something at the checkout. It's really too bad that you have that there. And it's bad enough that you have it, but that you would have it right next to gum and candy where little children are going. And, you know, and then you can say, and I'm opposed to candy too. I'm really liberal. You know, <laughs> but, you know, sugar is bad. All right, but, you know, but there's so many opportunities when you're checking into the hotel. Like if we go to a hotel, a lot of times, if I find that there's the adult thing, I will try to complain about that. You know, on the TV, complain about, or bear witness. It's really too bad. You know, I've got kids, or it's kind of disturbs me that people next door might. Why do Why do you have that type of stuff? It's like raw sewage coming into the into the hotel. Why do you do that? And I says, I thought you cared more about women and children. And where's the dinner? Women, children, and men. That might be a place there. I think checkout line is huge. And a lot of times, people will be having conversations where they're just loud enough, kind of like they want to be heard. Well, if they're doing that, then jump in the fray joyfully. You know what I'm saying? But I, you can begin with your own family by talking about it at you know, family gatherings, at picnics, at events, and things like that, joyfully. But you'll be amazed how many times people are genuinely, Americans are still deeply religious people in many, many ways. They may not identify with a particular religion, but everyone wants spirituality. And so sometimes the conversation, oh, I, was, you know, I, I, you know, I did my morning prayer. Oh, you do morning prayer? What's that? You know, I get up in the morning, I spend some, it just little, it doesn't have to be preaching, I mean, little things like that. Or someone's, how was your day, how was your day? I mean, oh, it's great, I did a good prayer, and I feel like I'm on my way, or I hit mass this morning, I'm doing okay. Well, I'm going to confession, oh, what's that? There'll be all sorts of casual conversation. If we weren't so uptight about mentioning it, I was kind of joking, but it's kind of true, you know, so you tell no one, that's what we do, you know. Someone comes and mentions religion, we're kind of like, oh, you know, and pull away. But there are numerous opportunities. <laughs> But it's a question of re redoing the tuner, or the receiver, rather, so that we're, we're aware of other people, we're open to other people, and then it's not always you. It's the Holy Spirit having that trust that you might sound like an idiot. But you know what? Your idiocy may be exactly what that person needed to hear at that moment. There may be just a turn of the phrase, well, at least she was sincere. I haven't met anyone who was sincere. She seemed very sincere. Or she seemed to care enough to talk to me. No one's talked to me in a long time. But you've got to be aware, you've got to have the attendant, got to be looking for that. Sometimes you say, isn't this a great day? Good morning. Yeah, it is. Thank you, God, for this day. And that's all you do. Thank you, God, or thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you. Gosh, it reminds me of Mary's blue mantle. Look at that sky. Glory be to the Father, Son, and There is so much beauty surrounding us, all right? What a great sale. Can you believe I got that? Thank you, Lord, for letting me get this on sale to feed my family. Our life should be filled with gratitude, that we have money, that we can buy clothing, that we can go to Five Guys and have a Five Guy experience. A lot of times at a restaurant. You know what? I've never been to Five Guys, but I hear it's... 
but I hear it's the best. I, I, I will. <laughs> but even like when you go out to a restaurant, this is a huge thing, saying grace before meals. I don't care if you're at McDonald's, you're at Wendy's, fast foods, whatever it is. When you sit down, not obviously, but just the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you can lower your voice a little bit, you bear witness. The whole problem we've got in is that we've allowed life to be secularized. And so the culture has become secular. And we're not going to take it back. Sunday's a big thing that you go to Mass on Sunday. Your people should know that you go to Mass on Sunday. And you know, another thing, I know this is controversial, but you know, that you get dressed up. For Sunday Mass. You know, that used to be a big thing. Now you're just thankful people go. And I understand that you want people to go. You just want people to go. But the fact of the matter, if the senator, a senator was coming over, you'd put on your best. I put on a suit. But I mean, we're what? We're going to the Lord. We give him our best. My parents drove that in. My mom's hats. I used to be so embarrassed at the hat she would wear. <laughs> and we'd have to go up to the front pew and just, oh my God, to be birds and netting and all this stuff. It's just, ah, so embarrassed. But we'd have to, you know, we have to put on a little tie and all that. No, you give your best to God. And I, but I mean, that's the whole expression, Sunday best. And John Paul, that's another thing would be great to talk about, Dias Domini. He said, we will never win the culture war until we take back Sunday. Sunday's being destroyed, you know. I get really, whenever, like for example, whenever I see open seven days a week, that makes my heart sink. They started to do it at, what was the farm place out? Southern States. Yeah, I went and said, that's, I'm really sad that you're open seven days a week. That won't be good for your business. It won't be good for you. It's really sad that you decided to do that. Because if they're saying that, they probably were Christian at one time, and they know that they were closed for a while, and said, that's a bad move. You shouldn't do that. It's too bad. Chick-fil-A, yeah. After five guys, I'll go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> thank you very much, Dr. O'Donnell. Okay, thank you all. God bless. Just one concluding thought. Everything that Dr. O'Donnell said, we have to slow down enough in our life to actually do that. If we're running through the grocery line, we're not going to have time to talk to people. If we're running through stoplights and stop signs, we're not going to have an opportunity to let somebody else go. And it's a habit to slow down while the rest of the world is racing on. Slow down. You slow down for Jesus Christ, and wonderful things will happen in our hands. God bless you, and I'll see you this Sunday. St. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.